Hey everyone, and welcome to the Power Within You podcast. My name is Mump Tagera, and as well as being your host, I also run my own leadership coaching, facilitation, and course creation business. The reason why I created this podcast was because through the coaching, I realized that everyone I was speaking to had or was suffering from mental health issues, whether it be burnout, stress, anxiety, depression, and more. But what I also realized was that these issues weren't being talked about openly. This podcast is just one step to make mental health accessible to everyone, to bring information to one place, to hear the personal stories of people who come from all walks of life and how they've overcome adversity. The power with a new podcast is to hear expert advice, gain resources, make mental health easier to understand and be able to implement positive changes. But most importantly, to know that you're not alone, to know there is support, understanding and love out there for you. I'm delighted to introduce Stacey Berg-Jackson to the Power With A New Podcast. Stacey is a certified professional coach and founder of SBJ Consulting. As a thought partner, executive coach and consultant with over 20 years experience, Stacey provides tailored leadership and executive coaching, training and facilitation across a variety of industries. In this episode, Stacey talks about her journey as a mother and coach with her child who has Asperger's. Stacey, welcome to the Power With A New Podcast. It's really lovely to have you here with me today. You mentioned that your son, your lovely son, is on the Asperger's spectrum, basically, or ASD spectrum. I know there's different sort of terms for it as well. And then I was actually about to record the podcast and I asked you to come on it because I really think it's amazing to to speak to parents um, about their own experiences because I know that, you know, so many parents are going through similar situations with their own children and there's more information and knowledge available but I was I was hearing in the UK that you know there's probably next year there'll be 190,000 children waiting on the list to get diagnosed or assessed so it's a lot and it's it's overwhelming as well so I'd, I'd love to listen to your journey and kind of speak about that. That's an incredible statistic that you share. And, you know, I'm talking to you from the United States. So our healthcare system is, you know, a mess. We don't have a national healthcare system, whatever. And so most of what we do here is really on a private pay perspective. And for my experience, and this could differ for other people or it could be very similar, but we had to private pay to have our son assessed, if you will. It was really expensive. Not a ton of people do it in our area. There was a wait list for us of six months and we were private paying really expensive rate for him to be assessed. And the interesting piece of this is, as you said, you really hit something that's so true for for pay parents, it can be an overwhelming experience. And I'll just share kind of a humorous story, I guess. I originally was having my son assessed because I thought he was going to kind of come out on the gifted IQ perspective because we were looking at where we were going to place him for school. And so I went into this thinking, oh, he's going to come out and as a gifted, you know, IQ, whatever, and we'll get a placement for school, whatever. And so after eight hours of testing, or whatever it happened to be, the neuropsychologist or psychiatrist actually said, oh, you know, he has Asperger's and he's on the spectrum. And what? And I was like, huh? What? No, I, I didn't come in for that. I, 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 I'm sorry. I thought I was coming in for, for this. And she was like, well, yes, yes. And 
you know, that like, yes, and yes, and this. And I was like, oh, and and that was a whole different set of learnings that then I went down and and said, okay, well, I don't I don't really know about this. I don't really I don't even understand what it is. I don't know anything about it. What are the services that I need? What you know? And so one question informed the other and informed the other. But it was pretty overwhelming to to get that diagnosis when I was just really didn't expect it. But it's been awesome. Like unlocking the intricacies of his personality through the lens of this diagnosis has been a game changer for me, for him. It really helps him identify that he is unique. He is incredible. He is unbelievably special and there's reasons why his brain works in a different way from others. And so it's almost like when you name something, it doesn't have to define you, but it can give you some perspective as to how your behaviors relate to others. And so it's been a game changer. It was a shock, but we're, we're, we're rolling with it. And just to give some context, if you have listeners that are in that like overwhelm research phase, I had my son diagnosed when he was six and he is now nine and a half. So it's been a little bit of a journey and it's been, and you know, today it's so interesting. I'll just brag a little bit. I'm, I just came from his school where he just received an award for being on the honor roll. Really, really, really cool. So he's had a journey. We've had a journey, but it's been a journey of like acceptance, research, knowledge, and just saying, okay, here's how we're going to learn about ourselves. When he was two years old, he would go around parking lots and he would, by the symbols of the cars, he would know every single car by the symbol. Like he would just go through the parking lots and just say Ford, Honda, Mercedes, two years old. And I thought, wow, this kid's really smart. Like, but I didn't, I didn't know about the fixation pieces and I didn't know about any. And so I remember like, standing in the line of a Starbucks and there was a a gentleman in front of us and he had his keys sort of in his jeans pocket in his denim pocket and and he had um, some keys inside the pocket and some keys hanging outside of the pocket and you know I was just talking with my son and he turned to us and he said wow and he's little he's like two he said he's really really smart and I was like he's pretty smart I said he knows a lot about cars and this and that he's like he does. He said, do you think he would know my key? His key was hanging outside of his. And I said, probably, you know, give it a shot. And Declan looked at it. That's my son. And he looked at it and he said, Cadillac. And the guy just like, just stood in line, you know? And I remember the barista was like, sir, sir. He used to line toys up. He liked things in a line. He liked structure. He, there were, there were in hindsight, 
you know, things that maybe wouldn't fall in the quote unquote normal child behaviors. So there were indications. I, I thought, again, I thought they were just super cool things that made them super cool, which they are, but I just didn't have the name for it or the definition for it or the title for it. So we get hyper-focused on something. So it would be hyper-focused on Sesame Street characters, hyper-focused on Pokemon. Oh my gosh, we were hyper-focused on Pokemon, Pokemon cards. So hyper, hyper focused. Now we're hyper focused on Harry Potter. So, you know, we just, we're, and so we learn everything about it. And then, but then we leave it and we move on to something else. So it's really interesting. I think one of the opportunities is to figure out ways to use that hyper focused diligence for like good, you know, like how can we use this for reports in school? How can we use this for things that, you know, kind of move you forward in life? Because I think when you're interested in something, you learn more about it. It becomes, you know, something that you want to share with other people. One of his challenges, I'll be very frank, one of his challenges really is that he is interested in things that other kids really aren't necessarily in interested in and that makes friendships and relationships at school a little bit dicey. So that we're working through that now as a nine-year-old. He is actually not in um, a larger public school. He's actually in a small religious school. So it's, it's very nice for him because He's in the fourth grade. There are three different fourth grade classes. And and so when he'll move to fifth grade, it'll be three different fifth grade classes, but they'll primarily be the same students. So even though he might not be with that same group of kids that he has this year, he knows them. So it's small in a sense that now, and we've been there for a long time. We've been there for like seven, eight years. So now all the kids who have been there, you know, obviously you get kids come and go, but the bulk of the kids know him. And so now he's got a safety where if he does something that's a little bit, you know, off the beaten path, so to speak, they'll, they'll, say, oh, that's Declan, you know? So they give him a little bit of grace where I don't know if he was in a really large, you know, public school or whatever. I don't know that he would get that grace, but he's also a really fun kid and he's hard not to like, you know, like he's just like, we just had Halloween last night. We're, we're recording this. We just had Halloween last night. And whereas other kids were choosing to be Pokemon or, you know, characters from Minecraft or Fortnite, all these other things. Like Declan chose to be the Pope. (laughs) So, you know, it's just those things that make him super cool. And as we're walking around the neighborhood, like kids and adults were like, that's the greatest costume, dude. So I'm, I'm a pretty type A personality. So when I got the diagnosis and when I was like, oh, okay, then I went, then I went into hyper vigilance mode. Like I'm going to research everything. I'm going to find out who can help us. So maybe he gets it from being on the spectrum. Maybe he gets it from being 
my son. I don't know, but I kicked it into gear also. And so, you know, we set him up with uh, ABA behavioral therapy so that we can work on social skills. We can work on reciprocal communication, noticing when things are happening in social situations with other children. What are those cues? How do you pick up on those cues? So he's actually been in behavioral therapy with kids his age and he's been doing that since he was six so he's been with with that and that's been remarkable the growth we've seen the ability to like I said ask reciprocal questions it used to be you know we would say hey how was your day and he'd be like really good (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're like, okay, well, in the real world, the next question is usually, how was your day? You know, so it's those things that are keys, those are keys to unlocking behaviors, communications, things that will allow you to succeed in the workplace and, you know, things like that. Although I don't focus on neurodiversity executive coaching, I have a tremendous fascination with it, obviously, from a personal perspective. And I do a lot of coaching in software. I do a lot of coaching in engineering. I do a lot of coaching in some scientific fields with executives in those fields. And it is really interesting. I I have never asked, nor would I ever ask unless the client divulges to me that they, you know, have some some diagnosis or or even just affiliate with something. But I I have had now enough experience in my limited experience to say to myself, oh, I wonder if just from communication patterns, just from inability to see or or even pick up on facial cues or expressions of people or body language or things like that. I find it really fascinating. And I wonder to your point of masking behaviors when executives recount stories to me or different events that they've experienced, they want to unpack them. I will, I will ask questions like, well, what did you see? What did you notice? What did you hear? And oftentimes they won't tell me things that in my estimation, I was like, Ooh, you've been in this business. You've been in this industry. You, that, that could have been something you could have picked up. And so With that masking, I think there is a lot of anxiety if that particular individual has been coping in different ways that they don't have maybe, maybe they don't have the definition. Like we talk a lot about in coaching, we talk a lot about, you know, symbolically labeling our emotions like, oh man, what am I feeling right now? Okay, hold on. I'm feeling frustration. Okay. Why am I frustrated? I'm frustrated because I didn't get the answer I need. Like, so when you label something, you have the ability to feel it name it, get a plan for it, and move yourself into action. When you don't, it's very untethering and you don't know what it is. And so you look for answers and you look for masking behaviors and you look, and that can be exhausting. Yeah, and I I completely, and I think that you're so right. It's like, and also like what I think is interesting is that, you know, People who, could, who are on the ASD spectrum could also be dyslexic or have dyspraxia or ADHD. And that's even more complex to deal with as well, isn't it? And I think more and more research, more and more information is coming out about that as well. And I think it's, it's you have to be highly 
observant, I think, to kind of like really get that and really grasp that in, into like your coaching sessions, for example, or your workshops, whatever it is. Do you feel like you'd want to kind of specialize a bit more into that as you kind of go further in your career? I would love to, honestly, I really would. And I've taken some workshops and some webinars and things like that, but it is really, it's becoming a focus and a niche, but it's not there yet. So I I would love to have the time to carve that out because I find it fascinating. And even the conversations I have with my son, you know, we'll talk about that and I'll say, oh, Declan, that's so interesting. I just had a very similar conversation with a client. And here's what when I recount the conversation to him, his insight on it is unbelievable as well. And he's like, well, here's the deal. Here's the da 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 da. And I'm like, how did you? how did you get that? And he's like, well, because, you know, and then he'll tell me why. And I'm like, whoa. So I, I think, I mean, he'll blow my own mind. Sometimes I write about him. I publish every Friday. I publish something called Thought Partner Friday. And it goes out to people on my email list. And I've written about him actually a couple times because he's helped me with some dilemmas that I've had just in clarifying my own thoughts. And he's helped me with some subject titles that I've written about. So it's really, it's fascinating. When we got the diagnosis for Declan, it was in May of 2020. So it was during COVID. He happened to be going back to school where a lot of kids were not going back to school in August of 2020, but he was going back to school because again, his school was small. They were taking precautions. They were gonna wear masks. The dilemma was, do we, do we tell the school? Do we tell the school? And I really didn't have an issue with, with telling the school because I was a former teacher and a hundred years ago, my first career after, after graduate school. And so I was a public high school teacher. So for me, my perspective was, heck yeah, we tell the school because they can help him. They can guide him. They can give him resources. They can understand his behaviors that, you know, absolutely. The counterpart point to that was, no, we don't want to tell the school because we don't want him labeled. We don't want him, you know, not pushed to his greater potential because, oh, he's on the spectrum, you know, like, um, so that was a real dilemma. You know, do, do you, do you quote unquote, admit it to others so that, you know, now they form their own opinion. Maybe they stereotype you, you know, what, what does that mean? So it's a real, I think that can be a real dilemma for people, you know, now that they have this information, what do they do with it? We did tell the school and it was the greatest thing we could have done. Do they have experience of dealing with children on the spectrum? Well, that's the interesting piece because much like medical information that can't really be shared, neither can this. And so I was living on an island going, oh my gosh, he's going to be the only one. He's going to be the only one, blah, blah, blah. But we know this. Once we start sharing our stories, we realize we're not the only ones and we're not on an island. So when we told the school, although they were incredibly professional and they didn't say, oh, so-and-so, 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 they were like, you know, they, they were really like, this isn't our first rodeo. He's not our first child, and this is not a big deal. And oh my gosh, that was again, you know, something else that's incredible to hear. 
because he has such a focus on things that are of interest, whatever those happen to be, they fluctuate. But whatever it is, you know, I would try, I'm not a big rewards person. Like you do this and then you get this. Cause I don't know that life really follows that pattern as you become an adult necessarily. So I don't love the token system. And, and so I really haven't done that, but it has worked for other kids and other families and other parents. But I guess maybe my coaching has informed this too. We do a lot more with like feelings. So what are you feeling right now? And one of the tools that we were given actually from his behavioral therapist was kind of a chart really. And it's like green zone, red zone, yellow zone. And it was like, where are you right now? Like, are you yellow zone? Like, uh, you know, teetering on, you know, or where are you in the red zone? Are you so again, by labeling it, saying, here's where I am. I need to either go into another room. I need to sit right here. You need to be with me or you need to go in the other room. You know, it was like, we're able to do that. So I didn't, I did never really used a reward token kind of strategy, but we did do like some emotional diagnostics, I guess. And that's helped us. And that helped us when he was younger. We don't, we do that less now, you know, we do that less because he's got a larger command of his emotions. He's a little bit older and he knows this behavior is not flying. So what are we going to do about it? In doing some workshops with adults on emotional intelligence, I have now started to implement the wheel of emotions and there you can Google wheel of emotions. Like there's a hundred million of them online. But I've started to implement that. And I have to tell you overwhelmingly when I'll do post-workshop evaluations or whatever, like what was the most impactful piece of this? What are you taking away with you? People will say, oh, the wheel of emotions. Like I'm going to use it. I'm going to put it on my desk. I'm going to give it to my team. I'm going to use it with my kids. And, you know, and I would have given them a bulk of other content, but they still like that wheel of emotions because they're like, I never really knew. I would always just feel anger. I didn't know that there were 14 other words that actually peel back what that anger is. Is it disgust? Is it confusion? Is it disappointment? And I use my son too as examples of things. Like I won't, I don't use his name typically, but I will use conversations that we've had. And I would say, you know, this is interesting. Let me share this with you. You know, what, what was your, what's your perspective on that? This was his perspective. Granted, he's a nine-year-old, but you know, and, and it's fascinating to, to see that because again, we're all the same. Like you said, we're all one. And oftentimes we are adults that still have little people in our own bodies, right? So we're just bigger, we're just bigger people, but that person still is in there. I had him when I was 40. So I was like an older mom too. And and so I just thought, this is going to be great. What a great adventure. <laughs> what a great adventure. This is going to be something. And, and it is. It actually is. It is a great adventure, but it's really hard work. And I think it would be hard work 
neurodivergent or not. Like being a parent is the hardest job because you just want to do it right. And then, and what does that even mean, right? Like what does that definition of doing it right even mean? Like, who knows? Who knows what it means? It means that they, they grow up and they're solid people and they're good humans and they contribute to the world and they make an impact for themselves and others. And that's it. You know, that's it. That's it. I don't care about anything else. (laughs) I saw him learning the logos of those cars, right? I saw him lining things up. I saw that he was really particular about things. So I asked myself that, like in hindsight, like, huh, I wonder if I should have picked up those cues myself and maybe Googled something. You know, it's not like information isn't at our fingertips, right? So I'm like, huh, I wonder if I should have, could have, would have, whatever. I I think so. You know, I think the answer is, yeah, maybe I could have. And so we were fortunate because we could get him diagnosed. I know that that is not a reality for a lot of people. Even the statistics you shared at the very top people, you know, just waiting to be seen. But I don't think you can wait to be observant. So if you're observant, I think, yeah, it's kind of on us to just try to do a little reading or try to, you know, when when we when we got the diagnosis, I immediately went on Amazon and just put it in, and there must have been hundreds of books, right, at at all type of depth levels. There was a handbook that I bought that was five hundred some odd pages long. Then there was a slim book, you know, that also I picked up. So. Yeah, I think there's resources out there. And even if you don't know, you're not sure, it doesn't hurt to just read and say, hmm. I think we have to continue to work hard on reframing that different isn't bad. It's just different. You know, I have curly hair. You have straight hair. It's different. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. And when we have a lens of that, we can look at people's behaviors or their responses or their quirks or the things that make them them and say, oh, that's different. It's different from me. Great. (laughs) Move on. Right? That's it. That's what we can do. And we need to continue to do that reframe for ourselves instead of looking at it and go, wow, that's weird. Why is it weird? It's different. So it comes down to, again, define how you define it, how you label it. It's just so wonderful to speak to you, Stacey. I'd love it if people could contact you and kind of get to know you a bit better as well. So if they want to talk to you more about this subject or even about your coaching, how can they get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. I would love that as well. So they can go to my website, which is SBJ, as in Stacey Burke Jackson, sbjconsultinginc.com. That's my business, SBJ Consulting Inc. And I'm on LinkedIn under Stacey Burke Jackson. And that's a great way to find me also. And, and if you want to be sort of connected with me, I send out that newsletter. Like I said, every 
Friday and it's called Thought Partner Friday and you can sign up for that too right on the website. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode with Stacey. I look forward to seeing you next week. 